Hi, and welcome to Indie Wire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Crystal Fault. I'm the editor of the Toolkit. And my guests today are the co-creators of HBO's Barry, Bill Hader and Alec Berg. Uh, it's a 30-minute comedy, dark comedy, violent comedy, in which Bill stars as a hitman who discovers his love of acting. Uh, just a quick note before we cut to the conversation. Uh, we don't get that heavy into spoilers here, but I was very interested in how they balance the comedy and the violence. So there are some details revealed about some later episodes, in particular six and seven. So uh, I would say that uh, it's not a heavy spoiler, but you know, if you cut to the last 15 minutes, the conversation is about uh, Bill's journey from SNL and then back to Hollywood to become a director. And Alec also shares some really amazing insights about uh, the state of comedy and what's going on in terms of the 30-minute format, which is uh, really on fire right now. You know, in the podcast, we've already done Atlanta, Good Place, and uh, Dear White People and Barry's another show like that that's really kind of pushing the envelope in terms of also story, but also craft and what you can do um, in a 30-minute comedy. So here's my conversation with Alec and Bill. So what exactly did you pitch to HBO when this is the very, the very start? Um, basically the show the that, that you yeah, see, the, yeah. I mean, there were some, you know, like a lot of character tweaking and the character of Fuchs was something that was kind of in flux throughout the whole process. I think it took us a while to sort of figure out who he was, but the basic gist of yeah. the show was the gist of the show. And yeah. it was about a guy who, you know, discovers that maybe the way he's living is not the way he should be living and that this acting class is this sort of shiny object that is intriguing to him and starts to open doors for him. How conscious were you guys even, I don't know, with HBO or even talking amongst yourselves of kind of playing with, you know, this this kind of wave of TV for the last decade has had so many anti-heroes in that, in the sense of playing with the, um, a, a sense of the hero um, not necessarily coming to terms with violence or or it's kind of psychopathic behavior and it's it, it's just very interesting because it's like playing upon it but playing upon bill's personality you know persona which is so lovable and so oh right i mean that was the kind of thing it'd be like it'd be i remember in the pitch meeting saying yeah it's i'm playing a um it's about a hitman but i'm playing it and it's just me as a hitman and they started laughing and it was like but it will play it real but yeah, I mean the anti-hero thing. I mean, someone pointed out, uh, some critic pointed out, which I liked, which was uh, a lot of those things. Crime it kind of equals uh, freedom. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A lot of shows, anti-heroes. It's always you know they're kind of you're living this kind of vicarious fantasy with them, and and I like that this show kind of shows crime leads to uh, sadness and perpetual. <laughs> <laughs> uh, darkness and you know this idea you know if you if you played someone who was a, a hitman for real it's it's uh their their soul would be destroyed you know and, and that idea if they if they had if they uh were awakened in any sort of emotional consciousness they would they would crumble uh, that's one of my favorite characters in the show is in 203 is Stovka, the old Russian hitman. We always kind of thought of him as ghost of Barry Future, you know what I mean? This guy, he's known for killing all these people, and he's just a shell of a human being. Um, that, to me, is that character is always kind of a, 
you know, a benchmark or kind of emblematic of what the show is about. Yeah, I've heard in different interviews you guys talk about the fact that you were kind of, and the exact quote I think is kind of uh, writing to where the story leads, talking about, by the way, this podcast is going to be a total spoiler because I, I need to talk about the end of this. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, oh, okay. And it's oh. not airing until June anyway. But, but, but you were talking about the fact that in the writer's room kind of deciding, uh, yeah, we've got to kill Gorin. Or, mm -hmm. or, you know, there's no other option in the car in Seven. But to, yeah, to, yeah, to, Chris. To, yeah. But the, the, so where does that happen? You know, it sounds like you're following a logic of what, what has to happen based on what's going on in the characters. But w going into it, what is the outline or the structure? Because it sounds like, I mean, that's obviously a big thing. He kills Gorin or yeah, he's going to yeah. kill Chris. Because it is a very well-structured season it's very oh, they're very you. they're very well structured episodes i mean this isn't loose mm -mm. so i'm just having trouble like so what is that kind of like those benchmarks kind of going in it's like a it's a tennis match you know where you you set uh you go oh i think we're going over there right and you go okay well if we're going that way what would happen and then you start to sort of play out the logic of those things and sometimes you go well wait that we can't get from here to there because this would happen. And then you go, yeah. well, how would that happen? It's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Where does that lead? Yeah. You know, like <clears throat> one of the things we always talk about is initially when we had talked about this idea of Barry getting Sally a new laptop, when we had talked about it initially, Bill and I thought, oh, it, it leads to, <laughs> it's a nice gift and it leads to this thing. And a couple of the women on our staff were like, that's super creepy. Yes. And we're like, what are you talking about? They and all, they're like, they no, all, no, 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 not no. a couple. If they all said they would. They said creepy. one of them said like that's like a super Tony Soprano like dominance move. That's creepy. And we're like, I don't know. I think it's. And then we started talking about it. We're like, well, wait a second, hold on. Okay, let's say it is a creepy gift. Well, that's that's actually kind of great, right? Because this whole thing is about Barry learning how to be a human being, you know. And we've always, you know, we've kind of cited in a weird way like being there is a weird. You yeah, know, kind of reference movie, where it's yeah. like a guy who's lived in this kind of cloistered existence all of a sudden is put into the real world and has to learn feelings and you know he's socialized for the first time in ages and that was one of those really cool moments where it was just like oh this whole thing just took a huge left turn in a totally different direction but it's much more interesting than what we had yeah yeah we kind of had it that they were a couple all season and then it was you know and it was the kind of thing of him hiding his uh his his dual identity all season from her and then once it went oh well he gives her a laptop oh so they're on the outs oh that's interesting yeah that's kind of good and it kind of happened because it was honest it was an honest thing and and that's always i i would say when we started the season correct me if I'm wrong the two things i remember saying the very first day of writing the show after we did the pilot was it'd be great if we could pin this all on ryan madison and and Barry should have a breakdown on stage towards the end of the season. I remember those being two things writing yeah. towards yeah, but those things, but how we got there. But we also, no by idea. the way, we had about seven other things that were, Thrown, you know, like we had this idea of like, we had this whole thing of Barry getting a commercial and like becoming recognized and all these things that we were sort of playing with that were like oh this would happen in show five and then in show six this and that and then in show two or three the show starts to kind of veer off in a different direction and it's like well wait hold on we what about all those things we were trying to get to and it's like we'll get to some but we're not going to get to all of them and that it becomes like kind of an exercise in 
in a weird way, sort of like sacrificing a lot of the things that you're happy with down the road because it's like, <clears throat> well, we can't get there, but the gain from going this way is we'll find these other things that are kind of yeah. more... Yeah, it's like I kind of tend to come in with like a whole bunch of ideas and I kind of go, well, what, you know, the first day of writing was me kind of going, you know, and talking to Alec about it. But it's like, OK, here's I work really well when I'm working off of something because I always feel like the smartest I ever am as a as a writer is when I have just finished watching something <laughs> and you go, why didn't they just do this or that worked because of this or, you know. So it's good to write your own kind of first version and just be wrong really fast. I mean, put it up on a board. And then it is kind of what Alex's saying is you just kind of go, wouldn't that, you know, we just had it happen in this new season, the second season, where I had something that happened in episode four. And he said, shouldn't that happen at the end of episode one? And you're like, oh, yeah, right. Why am I waiting so long? You know, let's get that here and here. And then Liz Sarnoff will say, wouldn't a cooler ending be this, you know? Don't you want to end on more of a, you know, you know, Liz Sarnoff, our writer, she's really, you know, she said, I think episode sh six should just end with they, the car gets shot and you cut the black. I mean, that's what you know what I mean? And you go, oh, God, that's so great, you know, and you try that, you know. I mean, the whole show is a, is a tonal balance. Uh, I don't want, but the, the, for me, watching it, and I watched it all the way through, was that that end of that six, the one that Hero directed right there, and it's the sh that, that shot from the backseat and the guns and then the silence. It felt to me like, especially then going into seven, and maybe that's just like my interpretation, but it felt like that was this, another shift, like going almost into this, that that silence and that feeling, it almost it almost kind of broke a little bit of, of a balance that you had in a great way. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I think we always thought of the whole eight episode run as kind of like one thing. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. like for us, it was like, oh, we're getting into like act three of the movie. Yeah, it's funny because you know? people, you know, some people go, oh, God, it doesn't really get going until act, you know, episode five or something. But to me, it's, it's, uh, um, you know, you watch the first three episodes are kind of the first act mm -hmm. of a, of a movie you know and then you get into introducing you know the military guys and and these and you know uh, Moss and Kusuno go have dinner and it starts to the plot thickens a bit and you're starting to see how all these people are kind of getting connected um, but uh, but I never I mean that shot you described I remember but that was in our script and I remember just when we hired uh, Hero, that was the, I feel like that's what got him to want to direct the episode. Because <laughs> yeah. I said, that, and it, there's just a shot in it where they're driving on, a, on, a, on an airstrip and you see some guys in the distance, you see muzzle flashes, and then they're hit, you know. I remember saying, yeah, it's like in Saving Private Ryan where the, you know, V-Day sequence where the thing goes yeah. down and the guys are just hit, you know. And, uh, and Hero went, Oh, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. Also, I remember... Yeah, like, I'll take that. That sounds rad. <laughs> I feel like that's why he wanted to do the show in the first place, because he got so excited when we told him about that. When we were prepping that episode, there was a whole plan drawn up where, you know, people get super excited about, like, every department gets very excited about their thing, right? right? And they always want to go, oh, this is the coolest thing that we get to do. There was a whole plan put in place at one point we had talked about, oh, we're gonna build a car with a steel cage in it. 
and we're going to put a camera in the car. And then, you know, we did a whole thing where we rolled a car, but we shot it from the outside. They were like, okay, so we're going to put a camera in the car and we're going to roll it. And that's how we're going to get that thing. And we're like, hold on. You want to build this whole car, put a camera in it and roll it. You know that the plan is to cut out as soon as the car starts to roll, right? Like all of these stunt guys are going to murder us if they do all of this work and they do this amazing car roll. And we cut the black. And then we cut out <laughs> right before, before, before any of it happens. Before it rolls. Before it rolls. Yeah. yeah. It's it in starts the to roll. It says like it starts to roll and we cut out. Yeah, we're not going to not do that. And it's like, it's I, like I feel like they were banking on us kind of like going, but wait till you see it. And we read and it's like, no, no, no. But for effect, it cuts to black and then it's quiet is much better than like kind of a rad stunt. Yeah, and the idea is you don't know so, what happened. They're going to be so angry when yeah. we do what we're planning to do, which is like all of their work is going to be gone. You know, I, I picked that end of six because there's there's a moment in seven that really kind of made me think a lot about what what you're doing here and 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 what's possible. And that there's that amazing scene. I think Alex, this is one you directed seven and eight, right? I did seven and eight. Yeah, yeah. there's an amazing scene with you and Chris in the car. Yeah. And uh, what's that actor's name? Chris Marquette? Yeah, he's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so like, there, it's just a great moment because it's this thing where it's, um, you realize he can't, he's not going to be able to relax and just yeah. let this go and that this is a danger. And you can feel that it's this amazing moment that unfolds where you kind of realize you have to, you know, without saying it, that you're going to have to kill him. And he quickly tries to backtrack. And it's an amazing scene, but also there's an element in both of your performances, but in particular in Chris and, and, and trying to like get out of it, that is, there's no filter there. That is straight dramatic acting. Oh yeah. yeah you know, and like in that thing where it's like that element, that so much of the show is about finding that tonal balance. Was there an element of you guys figuring out what you can do and what you can't do in terms of the comedy and, and the... Well, it's un it, you know what? I think so much of that is kind of just what the basic idea is of this guy traversing these two worlds. And that the acting world, in and of itself, is very funny, mm. and 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 the and the hitman world can also the crime world could also be funny. But if you're playing it real, which I think that was our our kind of marching orders, was like, well, what would really happen in all these worlds? You know, mm. if you could ground it in something, um, you you just follow it to where it needs to go. You know, and you'd say. There's never a conversation at any point of like, well, what's the comedy in the Chris scene? The bigger conversation was, can we be funny after that? And what I learned is if you just make, if it's honest and you cut to the theater scene, they're being funny and doing funny shit. And so uh, you just trust that, you know, and... Well, it's also and a process. It, it's a like process of doing it. Yeah. In in the outlining phase, you're like, oh, that's making okay. us laugh, or like, mm, that's not making you laugh. That is a sign that, oh, it's too early to do that, or like that scene is affecting the comedy of this. And then when we shot it, we were feeling it out. And then even in the edit, you know, there was a lot of like, there's too many, there's a joke here that doesn't work because it's in the wrong place, or like, so much of it is just is not trying to tell the material what it is. Yeah, letting you know what I mean? it kind of have like, its own thing. Like know? I said, with that laptop moment, it was one of those things where it's like, rather oh, than going, no, is. this is what it is, you go, this is what I think it is. Does that sound right? Yeah, and also having, to be honest, great collaborators from Paolo Widobro or DP to 
uh, Tyler Robinson, the production designer, to our editors, Kyler uh, Richter and, um, and Jeff Buchanan. They're telling us so much stuff too, you know, where Jeff and Kyle will kind of go, and they're hardcore movie nerds just like us, you know, so they have high standards. So they, they definitely will kind of just go, well, this is lame. They have no problem telling us. <laughs> <laughs> like I just don't like this and we go okay well and they're usually they have their points you know and great actors too Our actors kind of saying well I would do this or or in a very respectful way kind of going I, yeah I don't we you know we had a, a draft of at seven that Sally was really mean to Barry when he was before he goes out and performs at the end of episode seven his one line in Macbeth. And she's kind of saying, you're a bad actor and you're this and that. And Sarah Goldberg, the actress who plays Sally said, uh, I don't think she's thinking about Barry that much. And we went, oh yeah, you're right. She goes, I think she doesn't, you guys think that she cares about him. <laughs> she doesn't. <laughs> and so because she said that after a table, uh, table read, and we do these pre-reads where we just read it with the actors, just us and the actors, which is so great because it's informative for us as writers. Is this to before go. each one, or is this is this going through everything? We did we them did. in in sort of clumps. So, so we would do one through four just us, and then we go back and rewrite it, and then we do one through four with HBO there, like the official table read. Mm -hmm. But it's very helpful for these very reasons because she'll go, I don't. And so then out of that came, well, what is she thinking about? oh, what if there's an agent there that was Emma Stone's agent that she wants to, you know, that whole thing. And now it's like, oh, now this has stakes for her. And it didn't before, you know? And so you're constantly finding stuff like that. To this point is, 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 is that the discovery is that there really aren't limits in terms of this doing a comedy that also has these kind of dark elements is that I mean, if it works, I, it works. But I that... guess we, I, I certainly never thought about it as like, oh, this is the comedy part of the drama. Like, it's so much about just, honestly, just talking about what happens next. And, yeah. And if you start riffing on something and it's like, oh, that's a really funny scene, then it's a place for a funny scene. And if if you're like, no, 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 it should go to this place. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I we sort just of did joke. It, we just did it today, actually, writing about, we were writing a scene today for episode three. It's just and, what feels and then right. Suddenly, it turns into this other funny thing, and we start laughing hard. And then we're like, "Oh yeah, now this is kind of like a weird inspired thing now." And, but before, it was just in the outline. It was, you know, Barry goes to the grocery store. That's not it, but say it's that. And then you don't. You go, "Well, what's the objective of this? What's everybody's goal in this?" And you start moving through it, and then something kind of funny will happen. And then sometimes you're writing a scene and you go, wait, what happened to that thing that happened? Like, this scene doesn't make sense now because we did something where, like, before it, we just changed the thing before it, so now this doesn't. And now you go, okay, well, what is, oh, wait, now you pull that up. And, like, you know, it's a lot of it is, like, you know, dominoes. Moving stuff and, around, and then you'll you'll find something in episode eight that means you got to go back and change something in episode one, you know. Because there is such a narrative drive to, to each of these episodes. And that's the thing that was, in listening to those other interviews where you guys talked about deciding these major things it, it, it must be this element of once you have the pieces together then going back 
because there is such you a, well, such a, a it's drive. A, it's a tremendous advantage we have of, you know, we do eight episodes and HBO's nice enough, and I'm not saying that because I'm in a contract year. I'm truly happy at, at HBO. Uh, HBO gives you the space and the time to, to do that, right? Where we don't write the show from beginning to end. We yeah. write it all kind of, you know, as opposed to going lateral, we, we kind of, we sort of go from the ground up with all eight episodes, and then we kind of go from left to right. Did you kind of do in a checkerboard type situation where you're like prepping one episode, writing the other, and editing? Yeah, the, this is right. No, no I mean like we, traditional TV, exactly. Like you're on a network show where you're doing 24 episodes a year. Like you're writing episode nine while you're shooting episode three and editing episodes four and five. And it's you can't you can't do what we do. But we're like I said, we kind of approached it like a movie, and we're kind of doing the same thing again this yeah, year. We it's like we're writing all eight, eight episodes at once. So like before we even start shooting the season two all eight episodes will be written so then while you're shooting something in episode one you go oh my gosh you could do that and that'll affect episode seven well let's do that and go back to seven and you know what i mean and and uh but we we appreciate a real i think when alec and i met we had a we both liked that kind of narrative drive for a thing it's like 30 minute episodes and just keep it moving. And, and I think Liz Sarnoff, uh, Emily Heller, Duffy Boudreau, uh, you know, our writers are very similar. You know, it, it, off that, you know, it, it, Silicon Valley, one of the things that I'm always amazed by is how much I end up caring about those guys, like the drama that I get stuck, up, stuck into, like how much I care about the success of Pied Piper and what's going on with them. Like I actually get stressed out by the end of the season. Yeah, you know, good, good. Season. And you know, and also Bill, I know you, you, you kind of spent a lot of time in, in the Matt and Trey mm -hmm. edited, you know, and yeah. they had this video that I, when I used to teach, I used to share it all the time where they, they I don't think it's an MTV thing where they showed up in an NYU classroom and they did their butt therefore. Yeah, therefore, thing. therefore. We talked about that. Too. Yeah, yeah, and it just becomes this thing where it's like that element of being, because at the end it's got that drive and everything does feel so structured. Yeah, it's it's kind of. I also like it because I also I always appreciate good storytelling, you know, and and I also think that uh, you know I I don't like wasting people's time <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think it but, gets down to that I don't like kind of I don't like participating and watching kind of things where that are kind of I don't know indulgent or something and I think so much of it is just like creating people that feel real yeah and it's like you said like you care about what happens and that makes the it makes it so much like if you just don't like if you create characters that don't feel real then nobody nobody falls in love with them and like you know and also they just have to want real you know Things. tangible like one of the examples i always use is the the first airplane movie they did a really really great thing in that movie which is about three pages into the first airplane which you think of as just like it's just jokes 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 there's like a page and a half or two page scene between robert hayes and julie haggerty with not a joke in it where it's just He's sorry, he wants another chance, she says she can't do it anymore, and it's a completely straight, dramatic scene that just lets you know, this is a real guy, he wants a real thing, she's a real person, she wants a real thing, and the entire rest of the movie is just about, will they make it or not? He does say that was a pisser at the end of it to camera. But, <laughs> I'm joking. Yes. Oh. <laughs> 
But, but no, what's no, weird no, is but if you I'm, actually up until look at that it, point, you kind of yeah. can't believe it if you look at it yeah. and go, this is in that movie? But you are There's kind no of jokes. like, oh, okay, so they're real people, not... And the yeah. mistake that a lot of those movies make is like, oh, no, 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 it's just all jokes. And it's like, yeah, it's all jokes, but if there's nothing, if I'm not rooting for anything or, like, nothing's at stake, then who gives a shit? Let's talk a little bit about the look of the show. A few things that jump out at me. One is it's dark. And it's, it's literally, it's like you don't see a lot of comedies taking place at night as much as, as this one does. Mm-hmm. And then the other is, and I'm a New Yorker, um, I haven't been out here in a long time. It, there's, it's, it's an L.A. that I don't know, that A, I haven't seen on screen, but also I... I, I sense it's somewhere up in the valley. I don't know. Yeah, but it's like, yeah. Always, yeah it's, but it's this thing where it's, it's like, North you know, Hollywood. I mean, yeah, I know LA has yeah. got many different pockets or whatever, but that seems to be like a very conscious choice in terms of settling in, both in terms of the locations, but also how much nighttime stuff there is and, and kind of a general darkness. Yeah, that was also when I moved out to LA in 1999, and Alec and I talked about this. That's kind of the area you moved to. That kind of, yeah. well, you grew up in Pasadena, but that North Hollywood kind of studio oh. city area. When I first moved to LA, I lived at the Oakwood on Barham, which yeah. is like the place Tons that of people, it used yeah. to be. And I don't think it's called the Oakwood anymore, but whatever it is, it's like it was the, it was like the Ellis Island <clears throat> of people moving to LA to get into show business when they were in their 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, it, and, and it, that's out that direction. And so I have these vivid memories of like the valley as a new Hollywood you know, yeah, it's kind of strip malls aspirant. and that that kind of look I always liked. And then um, I remember talking to Brandon Tross, who shot the pilot of showing. We watched a bunch of movies. I remember I was so bummed out because I always liked the way Repo Man looked, got L.A. at night. The Robbie Mueller movies, that his night stuff, but L.A. and he's like, oh, they don't. It's all LED monitor. It's not sodium anymore, the lights. Yeah, yeah. So you won't get that look anymore. It's got to be... And I was like, ah, man. Uh, but what can we do? So that was one movie we watched where you just... It's like real... Ro- Robbie Mueller, <coughs> DP, his cinematography I've always really liked. Like Paris, Texas and American Friend and, you know, all those. and and uh, But that natural kind of light, you know, you always know with a lot... You always knew know where the light source is but it's very it's very naturally lit but also very picturesque as framing you know and that was what Paolo Widobro when I she came in to talk about doing the series and I said uh, Robbie Mueller and she went oh like natural but picturesque and I was like you're hired <laughs> <laughs> you know because uh, when we did the pilot I'd never directed anything before, and I got, Brandon and I got so excited about 18 millimeter lenses right in people's faces. And that was almost a little too Terry Gilliam at times for me. And then, um, and I, so when we did the series, we changed it to a 27, was what Paolo was like. If you're gonna do a close up, you could do a 27, but no, no more of this 18 bullshit because we couldn't look at each other i mean in the in the pilot when i'm at the back of the theater watching uh, henry get that emotion out of sarah goldberg in the pilot i am there was a camera right about you know a couple inches from my face with you know a ton of marks on the lens you know different colors of tape and the you know jesse the <laughs> the operator going all right so that's henry the red one's henry the blue one that's sarah uh, the class is over here, yellow, uh, orange, 
now, then when you go back to Henry, he's moved, so that's the uh, that's this white one right here. <laughs> so it was this whole thing of me just looking at all these different color markers, having different, yeah, different reactions. We probably have 45 <laughs> minutes. I don't think we actually rolled on it, but probably if we had 45 minutes of Bill on camera going, okay, so, and just his eyes moving, and he's like, that's Henry, that's Sarah, that's so-and-so, right? And just running through the... So I'm looking here, the and looks. then and then people go, and then Brandon Tross, yeah, that's right, man. No, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Can we move the white one just two yeah. inches to the right? Yeah, that's much better. That's much better. Just your eye lines. It was it was impossible. So we changed all that. But you know, I, my understanding is is that when you first moved out to LA a long time ago, um, you came out here to make movies. Yeah. Performing wasn't really anything. Yeah, no, it wasn't. I, could you tell the story? How did you get in, how, how did you get sidetracked into becoming a Well, a I, I, I was an assistant editor um, on uh, Iron Chef America, um, and I was a PA for a long time. I PA'd on a ton of movies, and would just go to Cinephile and rent stuff every weekend and just I mean I, all my friends we just sat around at coffee shops and just bitched about movies and what people intended and all this stuff what and, talentless uh, hack had been hired to yeah do what? what talent is yeah 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 it was <laughs> just like we were just oh man we were the worst and Robbie, um, Robbie Mueller should have shot Planet of the Apes yeah exactly yeah yeah Robbie Mueller yeah but I mean well that yeah the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes that was a big one we all sat after but we would go see every Friday and we went and saw everything and then um, it would rain, you know, tons of lists and shit like that. And so then we, uh, and then what happened was I was in a relationship and we broke up and I just needed a change of some sort. And I had a friend named Eric Filipkowski who said, you know, I'm taking, I have my level five show at Second City LA if you want to come watch me. So I went to his show and I saw these people my age performing sketch comedy. And I was like 20... And I went, oh, wow, this is happening. I should do this, you know, just something. One of these classes, oh, they're every Saturday? Okay, well, let me do this because I've been out in L.A. and it's a thing that happens. You come out to L.A. to be creative, but you need to pay the bills so you're not doing creative stuff, you know. And in my case, I was doing all this crew work. And improv forces you instantly to be creative and that's yeah it. you have to you then know i'm gonna be i'm gonna go home and write for five hours or something like that yeah it's, it's like an outlet like you go to one of these things and say like for two hours you've you've done, done this yeah. yeah and and also what it taught me was to fail i was so afraid those guys at that diner we were a bunch of people afraid of failing so we would kind of judge shit and everything but you know here's a cameraman go make something we'd be like well i don't know we'd probably go and sit and smoke and be like that sucks and you don't want to see anything the amount of aborted projects from this group um, they've all gone on to make stuff, and they're all very good now. But uh, but we uh, but anyway, I I started taking these classes, and uh, Matt Offerman was in the class, and his uh, brother's Nick Offerman, who's married to Megan Mullally, and she saw me in a show and recommended me to Lauren Michaels, and then that's how I got hired on Saturday Night Live, and so. I, from the day I went, I should take classes here. A year and a half later, I was on Saturday Night Live, and so I was suddenly like, "Wait, a minute, wait, what just happened?" And I got there, and I was, my anxiety was to the, to the roof because now you're sitting in rooms with Amy Poehler and Tina Fey and all these people. And you've talked a lot in the past and how that influenced uh, Barry in that sense, that anxiety that you, yeah. you had with Saturday Night Live and and finally and finally leaving. Um, 
you know, I, I think there was a sense when you left SNL that 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 you were going to maybe go. I mean, everybody always wonders what's going to happen, but I think there was a sense that you might go and do something more on the filmmaking side mm-hmm. and, and the creative side. I'm curious though, going back to that now and coming back out here, did you? Oh, did you think that it was then a natural path for, you know, you have this collaboration with Alec, for a project with Bill Hader as a performer in the middle of it? Is that, is I that, feel like that was the only way I was going to be able to get the chance to do the thing, you know, because that was, you know, you have these meetings with your agents and you, you know, they strategize and everything. But um, I, I always kind of inherently knew if I was going to get a chance to write and direct something, I would have to be at the center of it somehow. Um, but I was lucky enough to meet Alec, and then we sat down and chatted about this stuff, and then it became... It, what I like about Barry as a show is that it's totally... It, it's very nice that my friends from back home, uh, my high school girlfriend, all these people, when they see it, they go, oh, man, that's so the thing you would want to make. You know, it's kind of funny, but it's also dark and emotional and it, and it's weird and it has all like that is very your thing. And uh, and so I'm happy I finally got a chance to do that. And there's something brilliant about it, too, because it's taking that Bill Hader that we know, the kind of lovable, you know, a little bit goofy, uh, very earnest. And you're taking that persona and playing off it to do that weird stuff. You know, in, in 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 a way, like you've built a story that kind of takes that and adds it like this. Yeah. This layer. Well, that was the whole pitch, basically. Yeah. Like when we started, is I mean, we started talking about him playing a hitman, and it you know he said, well, what if I was a hitman? And my reaction was, ugh. Yeah. I hate the word hitman. Yeah, I hate everything about hitman. And he said, no, 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 but it's me as a hitman, right? And that was kind of the whole the whole genesis of the of the show. I have to imagine once you finally got to direct, you directed the first three. Am I, am yeah. I okay? I have to imagine that was uh, it was interesting that you did the first three because that's got to be a challenge because you you got you're also trying to figure out Barry. Well, it's, yeah, I did yeah. the pilot, so I really did. I did the pilot, and then we yeah. had a year or whatever, and then it was the, the two episodes in a row. But that's a lot harder, right? It's because yeah. it, in that sense of yeah, you've been open, you've been open about how being a little anxiety, having some anxiety as a performer, and getting oh my that, God. that. It can't on be SNL. It, can't, it can't be easier though to then be like directing. I mean, well, on SNL, I was that way. Okay, but on set, I'm very calm. I don't get too, I don't get too freaked out. I'm, I, I'm actually pretty loose. It, I, might, I might be a little too loose <laughs> if you talk to some <laughs> of the co-stars. Are like, that's not the line, Bill. And I'm like, it's not. Yeah, but. Um, but uh, I yeah I don't I don't uh, it, it was difficult kind of directing myself in some sense but on the other hand uh, to get a chance to finally do it and the biggest thing that for me that I'm very proud of is the amount of people who were moved by the show mm. um, and people who are found it suspenseful. Um, the amount of people went, oh my God, I can't believe the, those last two episodes, I was on the edge of my seat. And, you know, I have friends of mine who are just hardcore film nerds who it's hard to shake them. And they were, they were like, I watched the last five minutes of the last episode standing up and pacing. I just, it was too nerve wracking. That makes me so happy because those, uh, well, those are the kind of things I like watching, but also I've always been, um, a part of comedies, so it's either it's either funny or it's not funny, mm. you know. 
Um, I that was a reward. Did you so get it was the an lab? award yeah. to be like, oh, finally, you know, you could do these different things and and uh, be a part of something that got that reaction from people is really satisfying. But it's also, I think, part of the advantage of Bill doing this show and this part is that there, like you said, there is this expectation of what he's done before, mm. and this is not that. The same way that like. You know, we sort of like like being a hitman. There's a trope there, right? There's a cliche of a hitman, and we tried to stay very far away from that. Where it's like, oh, I thought it would be this, but it's not. It's something else. Like just because somebody thought it was one thing, you catch them leaning one way, and I think it's very satisfying. Like if somebody leans one way to to yeah. you know to go a different way, and if they're not leaning any way at all, it's harder to catch them off guard. Well, then we'll we'll end here. You know, one thing. You know, I ask all these questions going in, which is kind of based on a, a, a fairly pat understanding of how the way 30-minute comedy works and how do you do this, how do you do this. You know, I, I think one of the things, and Barry's very much at the forefront of this list, but I think one thing that we're seeing right now, and I ask you because you've been working in comedy, writing comedy for so, you know, 30-minute comedy so long in this town, it seems as if, and Barry being a prime example, that possibly even those questions I'm asking don't, that what you can do in a quote 30 minute comedy is now seems to be so open and well it's that's the advantage of peak tv right yeah. is there's 500 600 scripted shows right so now in order to stand out from that mass of shows you have to be you have to be unique and you have to be different and it didn't used to you know in the old days when there were three and then four networks and they were all ad based what mattered was how many people were watching it Right. And so you had to get the widest possible audience and that was the game. Right. So it's like, oh, you can't offend anybody. Right. And you're not going to get anybody who loves it, but you're not going to get anybody who hates it. Right. You're just going to get as many people as you can to sell them cereal and soap. And now the, the fact that the audience is fractured the way it is and that there are subscription based things and streaming based things, you know, like everybody's kind of fighting for eyeballs and you can survive with a smaller piece of the pie. In fact, you have to because there are no, you know, massive, yeah. there's no Seinfelds anymore. It There's a premium on quality and there's a premium on being unique and a premium on surprising people. And the way that you build buzz is by people going, did you, I don't know what the hell I just saw. What yeah. was that? Did you see that? I think HBO wouldn't be interested in this show if it was um, a kind of a traditional like you hear what the pitch of the show is and I think you can see the very kind of you know traditional kind of joke structure you know capital K comedy type yeah, version like of it the hit of the week the hit of the week and it's and it's all kind of you know that thing it resets every week and yeah and, it, and I think HBO you know when we you know they were the ones that when we said you know the violence is going to be no hear us out the violence is going to be real you do <laughs> and they, it real. And they, yeah. yeah it should be very real it's battle of algiers guys it's not <laughs> a joke and they went okay cool right on no we like that you know when we pitched the pilot we referenced Unforgiven and Taxi Driver, yeah, right. Which for a thirty-minute comedy pitch, we figured they yeah, might go. Said, what uh, if, no. What, what about if William Money met yeah. the people from Waiting for Guffman, <laughs> and that kind of helped him. And uh, 
you know, figure himself out. You, can, you can't even give me After Hours or King of Comedy or one of the... the right. <laughs> yeah, right. At least yeah. one of the weird Scorsese <laughs> right. ones. Yeah, it right. had to be. Or what about Frasier? Yeah. Like, you know... But, was... I mean, Peak TV, I do, I'm on another show, I do another show called Documentary Now. There's no fucking way in hell we'd be able to do that. They would go, get out of here. Just, you're literally just going to recreate a documentary. And we're like, yeah, it's going to be super expensive. And it's going to be for like five people. And they're like, all right, great. Go. No, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Salesman sounds like a great, uh, everybody's going to be laughing at so that. So it's based on salesman. <laughs> yes. It's going to look just like salesman. And they're like, great. All right. Whatever. All right, Alec and Bill, thank you so much. Thank Congratulations you. on the show. It's oh, thanks really, so much. It was really a treat. Oh, really, really awesome. appreciate it. Thank you so much. So-